Morning, church. Today we'll be reading 1 Samuel chapter 25, verse 23 to 34. You'll find that on page 235 on your Blue Church Bible. It's 1 Samuel chapter 25, verse 23. But first, some backstory. Last week, we met a foolish and arrogant man called Nabal, who refused to give David and his men any food, even though they had protected his flocks. David and his small army were going to wipe out Nabal and his wife uh, and his whole household, but Nabal's wife, Abigail, found out what her husband had done, and she loaded up donkeys with food and hurried out to meet David. We continue on verse 23. When Abigail saw David, she quickly got off her donkey and bowed down before David with her face to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, Pardon your servant, my lord, and let me speak to you. Hear what your servant has to say. Please pay no attention, my lord, to that wicked man, Nabal. He is just like his name. His name means fool, and folly goes with him. And as for me, your servant, I did not see the men my Lord sent. And now, my Lord, as surely as the Lord your God lives, and as you live, since the Lord has kept you from bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hands, may your enemies and all who are intent on harming my Lord be like Nabal. And let this gift which your servant has brought to my Lord be given to the men who follow you. Please forgive your servant's presumption. The Lord your God will certainly make a lasting dynasty for my Lord, because you fight the Lord's battles, and no wrongdoing will be found in you as long as you live. Even though someone is pursuing you to take your life, the Lord, the life of the Lord, the life of my Lord will be bound securely in the bundle of the living by the Lord your God. But the lives of your enemies he will hurl away as from the pocket of a sling. When the Lord has fulfilled for my Lord every good thing he promised concerning him and has appointed him ruler over Israel, my Lord will not have on his conscience the staggering burden of needless bloodshed or of having avenged himself. And when the Lord your God has brought my Lord success, remember your servant. David said to Abigail, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you to today to meet me. May you May you be blessed for your good judgment and for keeping me from bloodshed this day and from avenging myself with my own hands. Otherwise, as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, who has kept me from harming you, if you had not come quickly to meet me, not one male belonging to Nabal would have been left alive by daybreak. Morning Church, I'm Natasha, and the second Bible reading today comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 11 to 21, and that's found on page 937 in the Blue Church Bibles. So that's 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting from verse 11. Since then we know what it is to fear the Lord, we try to persuade others, What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us 
so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. If we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no, no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to, to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. Uh, yeah. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Keep your Bible uh, open there, or if you just closed it, um, you can open it back to page 937. We're going to spend some time thinking about uh, God from that bit of the Bible that we just heard, um, and I'm going to ask God to help us. Um, let's pray. Father, thank you for your, um, for your word, and as the morning, uh, I guess, is getting a bit late in the morning, please give us um, good thinking minds and good concentration um, and we pray most of all, Father, that you would open our eyes to the things that we need to see from your word. Please be kind to us this morning, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Relationships can be so complicated. Oh, I should mention, there's an outline of the talk, if you, it helps you to follow along, inside um, the information sheet. Uh, relationships can be so complicated, can't they? And sometimes a relationship can go bad just in a split second, with one little thing which seems so stupid. And they're really hard to fix up when they go bad, aren't they? In fact, sometimes a relationship can go bad and you don't even realise it's happened. Or you have no idea why. Someone's suddenly gone all cold and you're thinking, did I do something? Is it, what have I done? Or you might find out three years later that they've been offended for the last three years by something you did and you never knew. Has that kind of thing ever happened to you uh, before? I had that experience with a colleague once who was acting all strange to me and I worked out eventually that, uh, yes, I had offended him, which I knew. I knew that he'd been offended about something, but it turned out when I apologised, I didn't use the exact words that he considered qualified as an apology. I can't remember what it was I didn't say. I didn't name the thing I'd done to him or something when I said sorry. So as far as he was concerned, I'd never apologized. And he was just offended and cold for a long time. I had no idea why. The relationship was still broken. Now, we worked it out eventually, but it was very awkward. It was very awkward. Let me ask you, do you think things are good between you and God at the moment? And how can you know 
whether your relationship with God is right or not. How can you know that? In the movie uh, Crocodile Dundee, that's going back quite a few years, Paul Hogan famously said, me and God, we'd be mates. Maybe that's your attitude. Are you just kind of going, yeah, me and God, I, I think we'd be good, wouldn't we? Yeah, I hope so. But is there any chance that your relationship with God actually might be broken and you have no idea? That'd be more than just awkward. That'd be tragic because the stakes when it comes to you and God are much higher than with any other relationship. Let me put it another way. Um, If you were to die tonight and face God and he said to you, why do you deserve to be in my heaven? What would you say to him? Answer God in your head now. He said, why, why do you deserve to be in my heaven? What would you say? Now, can I say, if your answer was not about Jesus, then you really, really, really need to listen to this passage today and to what the Apostle Paul says in the Bible because this means the difference between eternal life and eternal judgment. It's really important. But before we get uh, to the question of how we can be right with God, I want to have a look at a few things in the first half of the passage, which are really Paul explaining why we Christians sometimes are so crazy, um, pretty much. And especially why we keep on saying things that people find offensive. See, let's face it, I'm talking to people about Jesus and telling people what they should be do about Jesus um, is very offensive for a lot of people. Uh, And I don't know about you, if you're a Christian, I've certainly been called crazy uh, or intolerant or unloving, and I don't enjoy it. I don't kind of wake up in the morning. That's not what gets me out of bed. Great, someone's going to bash me up for being offensive again. You know, I don't like it. And so why do we keep doing it? I mean, why don't we just keep quiet and stop trying to convince people to become followers of Jesus? Well, there are two very important reasons that Paul gives us, and we see what motivates him to keep on talking about Jesus. The first one's in verse 11. Um, So look down at verse 11 near the bottom of the page. He says, Since then we know what it is to fear the Lord, we try to persuade others. See, the reason Paul kept on trying to persuade people was because he knew what it was, as he says, to fear the Lord. Um, Now, that doesn't mean that Paul went around the whole time feeling scared of God. Uh, It it means that Paul knew and accepted the most basic truth in the universe. Here it is. God is God. He is more awesome and glorious than all the galaxies put together. And you and I are his creatures. That's it. That's the most basic truth in the universe. And what it means is that the most important thing that we must do is love and honor and respect God above everything else. He, he really does deserve all the loyalty and devotion and love of every creature. And we will one day have to give an account to God uh, for whether we've lived that way whether we've lived honoring and loving him above everything else. And now that's not just a theoretical idea that you have to take on faith. Um, God's actually made this big announcement to tell us that that's going to happen, that we're going to have to give an account. And his announcement was when he raised the Lord Jesus from the dead. 
Uh, I don't know how, how much you know about Jesus. Jesus was executed by the Romans. He died and was buried in a tomb. But three days later, he defeated death itself. He walked out of the tomb and physically rose to life. And because of that, Paul says, you can be sure of what he said uh, just in the verse before our passage. If you have a look at verse 10, he says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that same Jesus who walked out of the tomb. So there's, there's the first reason why ordinary everyday Christians, not just apostles like Paul, why we just can't help it. We keep on talking about Jesus because God is king and we're going to have to face Jesus one day. But there's another reason that's just as important, and that is God's amazing love that he's shown us through Jesus as well. Um, Have a look right down the bottom of the page at verse 14. Paul says, For Christ's love compels us because, over the page, we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Uh, Now, some people think that, well, if God is a judge who judges people, then he can't be loving. But actually, the death of Jesus on the cross blows that out of the the water. Uh, It really does. And, And God is so full of a love that I can't even understand that the Bible says God is love. All of, uh, all of the best and highest love that we can ever manage is only just this tiny little reflection of God's love which he showed when his son died on the cross. See, the death of Jesus, um, when it, it was a brutal event when Jesus was nailed to a Roman cross and bled and died. That event above everything else shows us the depth of God's love for tiny little ants like you and me. And here's the first thing you need to know about the death of Jesus. Jesus died for all. That's what Paul says here, doesn't it? Uh, What he means is Jesus gave his life as a sacrifice for the whole world, for everyone, uh, for you and me. And we will think more about what that means in a little bit and why Christ's love is just so mind-blowing. But there's one extra little thing I I want you to see from what we read here. Christ's sacrifice of love for the world was amazing, but it won't do you any good at all unless you respond to Jesus uh, by giving your life to him. Did you notice what Paul said in, in verse 15 there? He said, he died for all so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. See, Jesus died for all and he calls us to turn around and start living for him. And in fact, if we do that, here's the amazing thing about Jesus' resurrection. He promises that we will be raised to a new and glorious and indestructible everlasting life with him see the resurrection of jesus it's not just god's proof that jesus is the judge it's also god's promise to you if you turn to jesus that you will share that life after death you'll be raised with jesus to joy that lasts forever in god's kingdom that's his promise 
Are you beginning to see uh, why we Christians just can't help keeping on talking about Jesus, even if we get beaten up for it? It's, it's just too good uh, and it's too compelling. Because God's given us just this completely new perspective for how to look at the world uh, and for how to see people and think about people. Um, have a look at, at verses 16 and 17. Verse 16, Paul says, So from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view, though once we regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. See, part of the reason uh, we Christians are so crazy is because we don't see the world anymore just by what we can see with our own tiny little limited eyes. God's given us this new perspective where we look at the world and we look at the people, at people from the point of view of eternity and from the point of view of Jesus' death and resurrection. And so... What that means is when we look at people, there is one factor that is more important for how we think about them than anything else. So it's not, are they smart or are they dumb? Uh, Are they attractive or plain? Are they a boss or a worker, educated or uneducated, rich or poor? Are they male or female? Are they friendly or nasty? Are they white or brown or black? Now, some of those factors might be important in some situations, but they're nowhere near as important as this one thing. Does this person yet have the new life that Jesus offers? Have they turned to Jesus? Have they been made new? Do they have the life that he offers? But we still haven't quite got to the heart of understanding why Jesus died and what his death was about. Um, And this is what the last four verses are all about. And I really want to say, if kind of by this stage you've sort of switched off a bit, now's the time to flick the switch back on. Uh, I think these are four of the most important verses in the Bible for understanding what Jesus' death on the cross was about. So first of all, what on earth was God doing when he sent his son into the world on a suicide mission? Because that's what it was. Jesus came to die a humiliating and bloody and shameful death on a Roman cross. What was God's plan in all that craziness? Here's what God was doing. He was offering us reconciliation. He was offering to fix up our broken relationship with him. Uh, Look with me at verses 18 to 20. Verse 18, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. I'll leave it there. Reconciliation has been a huge topic in Australian society over the last few decades, hasn't it? Especially with uh, the issue of reconciliation between indigenous Australians and people from European background like, uh, like me. And what that whole process has shown is that reconciliation is incredibly difficult to achieve, isn't it? Or on a personal level, if you've had a relationship breakdown in your family, 
I'm sure you know reconciliation is incredibly difficult to achieve. Usually, for reconciliation to be even possible, what's the first step? What's the first thing that has to happen? Well, usually, whoever's done the wrong thing, okay, whoever's in the wrong needs to admit it and and take the initiative and say sorry uh, to the other person. Maybe they both need to. But that's usually the first step for reconciliation, isn't it? That's, that's why the apology that Prime Minister Kevin Rudd made in Parliament uh, to Aboriginal or Indigenous Australians was so significant in 2008. See, this is the first step. Kevin Rudd took the initiative of saying sorry. What about when it comes to us and God? Well, uh, things get much worse than just a family breakdown or something because God is not a family member or your neighbour God is your king and judge. And this is, the, this is the really scary bit. I don't know what you think your biggest problem in life is. Let me tell you what your biggest problem in life is. It's, it's not house prices, it's not your mortgage, it's not health. Your biggest problem in life is God. Because God is your enemy. Okay, Unless you've turned to the Lord Jesus, we'll come to that in a second, God is your enemy and there is nothing worse than that. So remember what I said before, that the thing that we were made for, the highest good that we were created for, is to love and honour God above everything else. And I can guarantee you, not one of us have done that, have we? I haven't done that, not even close. There are all kinds of things that in my life I've made more important than God. And, and frankly, a lot of the time, I'm just trying to push God out and saying, no, don't butt in here. I, I want to be in charge of of my own life. And because of that, God is our enemy and we stand utterly condemned. That was the bad bit. Here's the amazing bit. The death of Jesus means that your relationship with God can be completely fixed up. I mean completely. You can go from being God's enemy under his judgment, not just a relationship kind of patched up a bit. You, you can become his beloved child forever. That can happen, and here's the thing. When reconciliation happens with God, it happens the wrong way around, okay? It's, it's reconciliation the wrong way around. Because uh, remember, what's normally the first step? Well, the person who's wrong has to take the initiative, right? In this case, we're clearly in the wrong. We are under God's judgment. God took all the initiative. That's what the death of Jesus is. God took the initiative, in fixing up our relationship with him, even though we didn't deserve it. You can see that again in in verse 18. Remember what he said? All this is from God. It's God's initiative who reconciled us to himself through Christ. We, We don't reconcile God to us. He reconciles us to himself and makes things right again. And he does it by offering us full forgiveness for everything we've done, through the death of Jesus. That's what he said in verse 19, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. But the last question is, how does Jesus' death achieve that? Okay, how can Jesus' death mean that our sins are just wiped away and forgiven? We need to think about that more. And the answer comes in verse 21 which tells us that that extraordinary event, the death of the Son of God, 
was the price of our reconciliation with God. It was the cost, the price of reconciliation. Usually, we'll get, I'll read it in a second. Usually, the price of fixing up a relationship is paid by the person who's done the wrong thing, right? If I defraud you of $100,000, if our relationship is going to be fixed up, I'm probably going to have to pay back the $100,000. I don't know, that's, that's the price. And if you choose for some reason to say, no, 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 Stephen, it's okay. I mean, you're welcome to do that. If, if you choose to say, no, no, we'll just, we'll waive the debt. Well, the price is still there. You've chosen to pay the price, haven't you? There, there is always a price for reconciliation. But what if the wrong is impossible to fix? What if there's no price that can fix up what I've done? Uh, let me give you an example. Let's, let's bump it up further. If I murder one of your family members... What price can I pay to fix that up? Well, there is none, is there? I can't make it better. And in those circumstances, the price is punishment for the wrong that's been done. The price would be me spending the rest of my life in jail. I can never pay it off, but that's the price. When it comes to us and God, the the way that we've turned our back on our God and King, this is the greatest moral evil in the world. Okay, and the Bible tells us that the price of that, the penalty that we must pay is, is what the Bible describes as hell. That is an eternity separated from God's blessing under his judgment. And God can't simply ignore our sin the way we've treated him. God can't just make it disappear. Uh, he's the just judge. The punishment must be applied. And yet... There was something that God could do and that God did do that blows my mind away. It really does. God couldn't make that eternal death sentence disappear, but he could bear it himself. He could bear it himself. That is what the death of Jesus is. It is God in the person of his son, bearing the full cost, the full price that we can never pay off of our rebellion against him to offer us a new and right relationship with him that will last forever beyond death. That's this great transfer that happens in the death of Jesus. Look now at verse 21. This is how Paul puts it. God made him who had no sin, that's Jesus, his perfect son. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. See, this is our guilt and sin transferred onto Jesus so that his righteousness might become ours. Let me ask you a question. Uh, Go back to that awful scenario where I've murdered one of your family members. Okay, it's a happy thought, right? Uh, Someone you love dearly. I would deserve to pay the penalty for that by life in prison, wouldn't I? Here's my question. If it was possible, okay, if our judicial system allowed it, if it made sense, do you think you would ever decide to bear that cost in my place? If it were possible, would you decide to take the guilt of what I've done yourself so that I'm free from guilt and free to go. 
uh, let me tell you, I wouldn't do it for you, <laughs> just in case you're wondering. I, I can't ever imagine that I would take that cost for you. That's what your king and judge did, the Lord Jesus, when he died for all on the cross. There are things I don't understand about that. It's, it's just too big. But here's what I do understand. Jesus, the Son of God, when he became a man, so identified himself with us that when you put your trust in him, your guilt goes on him. He takes your guilt and he gives you the new life that will last forever. That's what Paul means in verse 21 when he says, Christ was made to be sin for us so that God's righteousness might be ours so that our relationship with God would be made right. But that relationship, as I said, it doesn't become yours automatically. You can choose not to accept what Jesus has done for you. Okay, you can say to God, no, no, I'm not really interested in Jesus, thanks, so I'll just take my chances. I think I'll be okay. And if that's the case, you are still under God's judgment. Um, this is, um, I'm about to wrap up, and this is where I'm going to start begging, really, because that's what Paul does. Um, I, I want to do what Paul does at the end of verse 20. See where he says, We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Friend, um, if you are still hesitating and if you haven't give your, given your life to Christ, I'm, I'm begging you, please do something about it now before it's too late, while you still have the chance. Be reconciled to God. And let me ask you, if you're still hesitating, you're going, no, not really. Please ask yourself, what is it that's stopping you? Uh, if it's that you need more information, you don't know enough yet about Jesus, uh, we can help you there. We've got a dinner coming up this Saturday uh, that I mentioned before. We've got our Meet Jesus course coming up. There's lots we can do about that. But I also want you to ask yourself, is it actually, is there something else? Is it that you think the cost is too great because you don't want to give up being in charge of your own life? Uh, can I say, that's a fantasy anyway. You're not in charge of your life. If you think you are, you're just kidding yourself. You're not in charge of your destiny. None of us are. And that will be very clear when you and I stand before Jesus as our, as our judge. If, if that's you, can I say, you, you have nothing to lose by giving your life to Jesus and you have eternity to gain. Remember my question at the start. Do you know for sure that your relationship with God is right? Because you can know that for sure. You can know it for sure today and forever by turning to Jesus, trusting him, giving your life to him. And to test whether you've got it yet, let's go back to that other question I asked. If you were to die tonight, Face God and God said to you, why do you deserve to be in my heaven? What would you say to him? Answer it in your head. And here's the test. If your answer started because I, maybe you still need to think about it and learn some more. If your answer started because Jesus, you're well on the way to the right track. If you want to talk about it more, James is going to give you some uh, suggestions for how you can do that. Um, but do business with Jesus today. Let me, uh, let me pray to finish. Um, God, when we all 
when we look at ourselves and look at our hearts honestly, we do realize that um, there is selfishness and pride and all of us have this thing inside that means we want to push you away and run our life our own way. Thank you this morning for what you've, we've seen uh, because you've announced it, you've told us the amazing news uh, of why Jesus came and of how Jesus took our guilt and death himself to offer us complete reconciliation with you and a new life that gives us hope of being raised with Jesus after death forever. Uh, Father, thank you so much um, for your kindness and love in telling us that and help each of us today um, to do whatever we need to do with Jesus this morning so that we can have that peace of knowing we are right with you. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.